0: warning since the year 2001 the US government has spent over five trillion dollars on regime change war
1: your your your
0: This episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by needing to have the list in front of you to talk about all the countries that the United States is at war with. Hi. You might remember a day when you could remember all the countries the United States is at war with just off the top of your head. Not anymore. Now the US is at war with so many countries, if you want to list them off, you need to have them all in writing in front of you, otherwise you'll probably forget one. Here's my list now, Iraq, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Syria, and Afghanistan. I can't remember that off the top of my head. Can you? Today's episode of Seriously Wrong, brought to you by the U.S. being at war with so many countries, you need to have the list in front of you just to talk about it.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Seriously Wrong podcast. My name is Aaron. And my name is Sean. Sean. We try to do a show every week. And this week, very special episode, very special guest, Senator, former Senator Mike Gravel, presidential candidate, best platform.
0: Mike Gravel is running a campaign in the Democratic primary as a outsider candidate pushing the issue of war and regime change and militarism as a core component one of the interesting things about his campaign is that he wasn't actually going to run for president. He's 88 years old. He's been retired for quite some time. And working on his political passion project, which is a direct democracy initiative called the National Initiative. And these teens reach out to him. Famously, everyone calls them the teens. or yeah. <laughs> So like some 17 and 18 year olds wrote to him, they had found out about him through Chapo Trap House, and the awesome work that he did in the 2008 debates, like standing up to Biden, Obama, and all these like mainstream sort of democratic candidates.
3: When Senator Gravel, two terms U.S. Senate from Alaska, you played a role in the fight to cut off money for the Vietnam War. Some of these people frighten me. They frighten me. When, when you have mainline candidates that turn around and say that there's nothing off the table with respect to Iran, that's code for using nukes nuclear devices. To my mind, it's immoral and it's been immoral for the last 50 years as part of American foreign policy. Senator Gravel, that's a weighty charge. Who on this stage exactly tonight worries you uh, so much? Well, I would say the top tier ones. They made statements. Oh, Joe, I'll include you too. You have a certain arrogance. You wanna, you wanna tell the Iraqis how to run their country. I gotta tell you, we should just play get out. It's their country. They're asking us to leave and we insist on staying there. Other than Iraq, uh, three most uh, important uh, enemies to the United States. We have no important enemies. What we need to do is begin to deal with the rest of the world as equals. Who are we afraid of? Who are you afraid of, Brian? I'm not. Iraq has never been a threat to us. We invaded them. I mean, it, it is unbelievable. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government lock, stock and barrel, but they control our culture. With respect to Iran, we've sanctioned them for 26 years. We scared the bejesus out of them when the president says they're they're evil. And you know something? Who is the greatest violator of the nonproliferation treaty? The United States of America. We signed a pledge that we would begin to disarm, and we're not doing it. We're expanding our nukes. Who the hell are we going to nuke? Senator, Tell me, Barack, who's, not who not are you to want nuke to nuke? Any, I'm not planning to nuke anybody right now, Mike. I good, promise. you. good. It. We're safe. Then uh, for a while.
0: So they launched a campaign together that's run by these sort of like young, new political operatives that are really, really good at using web platforms like Twitter to gain attention and speak on issues that matter to people. And then since he's 88, you see this also in sort of like the Bernie campaign or like with Gene Swanson of like this bringing together of like young and old, and this intergenerational transfer of knowledge and, and wisdom and experience.
2: He was the speaker of the Alaska House of Representatives from 63 to 66, and then was elected to the Senate. He became nationally known for rallying to end the draft, like multiple times. That was what he was trying to push through right when he became senator, then also got national attention for reading the Pentagon Papers into the national record at a time when there was some concern about them being suppressed and never published, never made public. So yeah, just like a bunch of really interesting stuff done in his political career.
0: Yeah, so uh, like really a fascinating character because you have those like the 18 years of service in various forms in public life with the anti-war stuff really potent from the start and so important and like easy to brush off or excuse about people about like just like the structure of our system or something like that these are issues that don't get the attention that they deserve generally. And, and just thinking of him holding the line all this time on it is just fucking awesome. So yeah, like a big honor to speak to him. And he's just also like an interesting character. Like he's got this, the national citizens initiative, which he joined the libertarian party to attempt to get them to adopt. And just part of their platform briefly in uh, 2008, 2010. Uh, it's like, there's such a storied, interesting sort of thing here. And then to end up at this time connecting with some like extremely online young people who are helping, yeah, communist like, teens. just boosting his profile to this level, and also on a really legit thing that's missing from the discourse in the primary elections is, like, what are you going to do about the fact that we've been in a state of permanent war for 16 years?
2: And quickly, before we go to the interview, I just want to say that it will be really, really great to get Mike Gravel on the debate stage. Uh, you might have seen the news the past couple days, the lineup for the first debates in June was announced. Gravel didn't qualify, but the teens do believe that he is on track to meet the qualifications by July and hopefully get in the second round of debates in order to do that. The more individual donors he has who are Americans who donate to his campaign, the more likely that that will actually happen. So please, if you live in America right now, go to the Mike Gravel campaign website and donate just $1 to his campaign. Help him get those numbers up, those numbers of individual donors. That's what counts. And that's what they need to get him on the stage with Biden, with Buttigieg, with all those people and say, why do you want to bomb children around the world? I think we shouldn't. And I want to see him say that to them on that stage. So if you can, I would if I could, but I can't because I'm Canadian. But if you can head over to his website and send them that one dollar.
0: So to get started with our absolutely incredible interview, let's hear Mike Gravel read and respond to our podcast name.
4: Okay, what the hell is it you want to proceed, and uh, you're seriously wrong. Is that right. right? Seriously wrong? Good. Yeah. What's wrong? <laughs> tell me what's wrong. I know a lot what's wrong, but you tell me what you think is wrong. <laughs> Good. Okay, the interview so I'm all yours.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll just get started. Sort of surreal because I've been following your campaign and I'm like so excited to get these issues in the debate. And so it's 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 really, really surreal to see you there and like be talking to you about this. Really, really stoked.
4: Pleasure's mine. And what's going on is this is much more effective than the debate itself. You know, we'll probably have six minutes in the debate with all of these candidates. And you can't get a big message across in six minutes. But what you can do is get a lot of attention, which is what this program is right now. It's focusing attention on the campaign itself, not on the fact that I'll be speaking at the debate itself. It's the prelude to debate and post-debate that really counts in getting the where getting what's wrong right. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's my take, whether you like it or not.
0: Well, first, I want to congratulate you. You've been declared a major candidate by 538. five thirty eight. Five thirty eight,
4: Who's that? And, <laughs> well, first off, everything is handled by David and Henry. They are the two kids that are running my campaign. All I do is respond to interviews. Other than they give me veto power, And the only time I've exercised that was for them to tone down the F word uh, (laughs) in public, (laughs) at least on my Twitter feed.
0: (laughs) So 538, they're like a projection site. They do polling and then project the chances different people to have to win and like their path to victory. And recently they declared that you've been upgraded for their internal metrics as a major candidate. So they're going to be doing more updates on your campaign and talking about your path okay. to victory. And
4: Hey, well, that's for them. 538. Okay, good. I'll write that down. Five thirty.
0: The other congratulations that I wanted to give to you is that on Twitter, the guy who threw his shoe at George W. Bush endorsed me.
4: (laughs) And I told him to get another shoe and throw it again. (laughs) Throw it at Trump. (laughs) Well,
0: out of all of your your Democratic Party running mates here, who would you throw the shoe at first? Is there anyone?
4: (laughs) Well, I'm I'm mad at the mayor from Indiana, Budichek, whatever his name is. No, I I got this secondhand. I didn't hear it myself. But apparently, he dismissed Obama granting a reprieve on the sentence to Chelsea Manning. And I view Chelsea Manning as a major patriot in our history. And she's in jail today because she has the guts to stand up to the government in their unfair practices. And so, if it's corrected, he felt that she should be sentenced to 35 years. Well, shame on him. Because uh, first off, in Alaska, we had a lot of people that committed murders that never got a 35-year sentence. So to give a person who has got a sense of patriotism to reveal the dishonesty in in parts of our government, and to that person to get sentenced for 35 years, and it was commuted by Obama, thank God, he must have felt a guilty night because, you know, he did more to oppress whistleblowers than any other president in our history. So if Buttigieg said that about Chelsea, I got to tell you, when I'm on the stage, I will ask him about that. And if he's made that statement, he's going to get it from me.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, well-deserved. I mean, the persecution of whistleblowers is just as an affront to democracy and, and journalism. Whistleblowers are
4: the only thing that keep our democracy alive. Other than that, the level of secrecy, the control by the military-industrial complex and Wall Street, no, we've lost a democracy and we're not even alert enough to recognize it. And so when you see whistleblowers, whether it's Chelsea, WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, Snowden, these are all heroes in my Patriots to the extreme. They should all be getting medals. And you have a little
0: bit of activist history around whistleblowing in that you read aloud a good chunk of the Pentagon Papers into the public record and published them at a time when it looked like it may or may not be published. Could you talk a little bit about that experience and what motivated you to do that?
4: Well, first off, when I was a young man in my military service, I was in the intelligence community. So I was in Europe, fortunately, during the Korean War as an agent for the communications intelligence service. And at 23, 24 years old, I could classify and declassify. So I advance that now to I'm in the Senate, and I'm 42, 41 years old, 42 years old, and the Pentagon papers were sent over to the Senate by Nixon. They're put in a room under armed guard, and a member, a senator, could go in and read them, but couldn't take any notes and couldn't have any staff. So that ridiculous situation compared to what I could do when I was in my 20s. Really, when Ellsberg called me to see if I would read, the Pentagon papers as part of my filibuster against the draft, I immediately said yes. I didn't have to think about it because I just thought it was ridiculous. First off, the level of secrecy in our society is far, far in excess of what's needed to protect our interests. But every time you hear a government official or a politician say, well, that's secret, I can't talk about it. Why the hell can't you talk about it? The enemy knows about it. (laughs) This is is a little (laughs) bit like the secrecy of the bombing by Nixon of Cambodia and Laos. You know, the people in those countries could look up in the sky and see the bombs dropping on them. But, of course, the American people couldn't know that they were being bombed because that was held secret. And so, this whole concept of secrecy has been excessive. And with respect to the Pentagon Papers, all it is is a history commissioned by McNamara, And he was curious intellectually as to how we got into Vietnam. And so after he read the report that was written, he classified it. That was the end of the story. The view I take is very different. If it was important for McNamara to know how we got into the mess of Vietnam, it was a thousand times for the American people to know that. So that they could react to that. In democracy, if the people are uninformed, then they have no say in the operation of government. So I released the Pentagon Papers, Nixon tried to get me indicted, it went to the Supreme Court and I lost one facet of it but I won one facet. The facet that I won was establishing that a member of Congress under the Speech and Debate Clause of the Constitution can release any information at any level of classification to the American people if he feels or she feels that it's warranted and unfortunately that prerogative invested into all the members of Congress has not been used in Congress uh, since I established that situation with the Supreme Court in 1972.
0: So this still exists to this day, that members of Congress are allowed to declassify for the purposes of public knowledge. Wantonly.
4: (laughs) Yes, that's right. And I've urged them, Ellsberg has urged them, you know, tell us some secrets so that we can react. And the only people that have done is Snowden, WikiLeaks, Assange, and Chelsea Manning. Uh-huh. And yeah. both being indicted. And of course, you've got a lot of whistleblowers that have been indicted. And that belong to a community of VIPs, which is veterans uh, in the intelligence community that do a great job in reporting the bad stuff of government. And, and that's extremely important. Otherwise... Like I say, we've lost a democracy, and we we don't know how to react to it, and the public's impotent in doing something about it.
0: Something I had heard recently, and I think it's from your biography about your time in the service when you were younger, that in France, because you were able to speak French, because you've got Quebecois background, that you had did like uh, reconnaissance on like communist party meetings. Is that right?
4: Oh, I just went to a few communist rallies and wrote up to what was going on and a report to the hierarchy. That was the extent of it. I I didn't go into any secret meetings or anything like that. I just went to their rallies and in a couple of instances was able to help out American officials in that regard. So that's the extent of it. I was very, very lucky. Had I been sent to Korea, I'd probably got my ass shot off. <laughs>
0: Now it is time for Would We Throw a Shoe at Them? The Seriously Wrong Coverage of the Democratic Primaries. Ooh, this is
2: exciting. Yeah, big
0: cast. A lot of people to choose to either throw a shoe or not throw a shoe
2: at. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to have decision-making fatigue after this segment.
0: Now first, just a couple ground rules. You may only throw a shoe at a candidate once. Mm -hmm. To throw a shoe is the ultimate insult. You don't throw a shoe at someone just because they're running for president and they're not good.
2: They have to suck. I think one additional ground rule. These shoes can't have like bombs in them. They can't have big spikes dipped in poison. Nothing like that. No, These are relatively soft shoes. It's more of a symbolic gesture than about the physical impact. Actually, you you
0: ideally probably wouldn't want to hit the candidates. That's not the type of stuff we're advocating for here.
2: Uh, So do you want to start with maybe one of my favorite candidates, Mike Gravel? Mike Gravel. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, don't throw a shoe. Yeah, no, no shoe. I, I wouldn't throw a shoe at him. Definitely not.
0: That's a no-shoot from us. Okay, let's go for someone a little younger, a little more hip. John Delaney. I, <laughs> <laughs> I
2: have no idea who that is, so Me no. Me
0: neither, yeah. I probably wouldn't throw a shoe just in case, but I don't have a high expectations for the delaney campaign
2: no me neither but i
0: want they want to understand someone i'm throwing a shoe at you know
2: yeah absolutely so here's one that might be a little difficult to decide for some people okay cory booker
0: Mm, cory booker well i gotta say i love how since he started running for president he speaks from a lower register of his voice than when he was a senator oh does he does yeah it's, it's, it's noticeable you know as someone who's been following cory over the years since he started running for president, he's more serious and down
2: the bottom half of the voice. He has something with like pharmaceutical companies, I think. Yeah, I that's his. That's the dirt. That's the tea. Maybe if he had a higher chance of winning and it was like a real threat, I'd throw a shoe. But I, I don't feel it.
0: Yeah. I eh,
2: let's save the shoe.
0: Might be using this later. Next up amy klobuchar the amy for america campaign
2: we're too many of these i'm gonna say this but i don't know enough about her oh
0: klobuchar is the presidential candidate who got in some hot water for throwing a binder at her staff so oh, she was hmm. a little bit of aggressive right. physically aggressive with her staff
2: it does seem kind of fair is fair and i am itching to use this shoe turnabout's fair play No, you know what i'll let's throw it well, let's throw the shoe So, quick question. We still got some more shoes lined up, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so Beto O'Rourke. Skateboard ride-in, punk band, weird old internet writing?
0: Oh, yeah. In Beto's, quote, hacktivist days, he went under the name Psychedelic Warlord. So, despite my other problems with Beto, that gives him permanent immunity from shoe-throwing, from
2: me. You know, if you're gonna... I value restraint, so if you're not going to... I kind of wanted to, but I'm... Yeah, no.
0: To quote Beto O'Rourke under the name Psychedelic Warlord... I need a butt shine right now. You are holy, O oh sacred cow. I thirst for you. Provide milk. Buff my balls. Love the cow. Good fortune for those that do. Love me. Breathe my feet. The cow has risen. Wax my ass. Scrub my balls. The cow is risen. Provide that, milk.
2: It's really, really funny. And it kind of makes me like him more, but it also kind of makes me want to throw the shoe at him
0: more. Count my eyes. Smell my skin. Love the scarecrow and
2: the milkman. I live only for eternity thirst for that undrinkable i think i'm gonna toss a shoe it's like a playful toss but i'm gonna do it
0: next up smiling joe joe biden the big boy number one
2: yeah i want to throw it you want to throw it oh yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely for like a bunch of reasons definitely i feel like everyone gets that Uh, Moving this bit along a bit, I think we can give Sanders and Warren a pass. We're not going to throw shoes at them. Mm -hmm. How about Andrew Yang, a controversial figure, wants to give everyone $1,000 a month, is potentially an evil time traveler here from the future trying to bring us to the techno-feudalist state from which he hails. No shoe, yeah. No shoe. I I like him. I, I don't think he's a time traveler.
0: And finally, the presidential candidate that everyone has been waiting for our shoe ruling on, he buddha judge. Now I
2: do love a gay man in military outfits.
0: I'm with Gravel on this one. His comment that he was troubled by clemency for Chelsea Manning after Chelsea Manning suffered under solitary confinement, which is literally torture for leaking documents of public interest to journalists. Strongly disagree with Buddha Judge there and I will be throwing the symbolic shoe.
2: So I know that was the last one, but I'm going to do a quick personal lightning round of a few more. Marianne Williamson, no shoe. Tulsi Gabbard, no shoe. Julian Castro, no shoe. And Kamala Harris, uh, you know, I, might, I might go with the shoe. No, those don't represent your opinions. That was just my personal lightning round. And I think that's the end of the segment. Yes. <laughs> you agree? Good. Okay, back to the show. Oh, wait a sec. Isn't the Starbucks guy running? Maybe we should throw a shoe at him quickly before... Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. i Cool. You have mentioned a few times that the democracy in the United States currently isn't worth the name. And something that came up when we were researching was your involvement with the National Initiative a proposal for a constitutional amendment to allow direct democratic participation at every level of government. It was endorsed by Daniel Ellsberg, Ralph Nader, Chomsky and Richard Stallman. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about the national initiative and like what was direct democracy at every level of government look like? Like how, how would implementing that work?
4: Thank you for asking the question, because that's the most important thing that I'm doing. Uh, up until last year, I really referred to the National Citizens Initiative. However, most people aren't all that aware of citizen initiative lawmaking. So now what I call it is the legislature of the people. That's, I think, is more understandable to Joe and Jane Sixpack. And I'm just finishing the book, I'm at the last chapter. The book is essentially a manual to enact and to operate a legislature of the people. And what you need is a constitutional amendment, and then you need to conduct a national election, not involving the government at all, because the government would sabotage it if they could. And so you ask the people in this national election, Do you want to have a legislature of the people wherein you can vote on policy issues and on laws that you have to live under? Right now, the representatives in government have a monopoly on power. The people don't have a monopoly. They don't have access to be able to make laws. Well, we have a few states that do this copying what was done in Switzerland, but that's not nearly enough and it's not all that well done and so you'd be voting in a national election for a constitutional amendment and a federal law which would be a legislative procedures act. Lawmaking is a very deliberative process and so therefore you have to have the same kind of procedures you have in the legislature like in the congress or state legislatures or a foreign legislation. You have an agency that facilitates the people exercising their power to make laws or introduce laws. And so that's what the package would do. Now, what happens is that when people want the details of the Legislative Procedures Act, they begin to roll their eyes because it, making law is very complex. And so you have to have very specific procedures for hearings, for markups, for voting. And the program that I have is about 5,000 words. And so, with respect to the Constitutional Amendment, the first section, obviously, is asserting the people's right to make laws. And then the next thing would be creating an agency called the Citizens' Trust that then would be the one that would implement the procedures of the Legislative Procedures Act. And then the next thing you'd do is you'd do away with corporate personhood, and then you'd appropriate the money directly from the Treasury. This is Constitutional Amendment now. Appropriate the money from the Treasury equal to the sum that's spent on the Congress. And then the legislative procedures, of course, are all the procedures that that you have in essentially all legislative bodies. The only difference with this one is that I tweaked it so that it's applicable to 100 million, a trillion people. You know, because in point of fact, the only area you can bring people into the operation of government is as lawmakers. You can't bring them into the executive. The numbers don't fit. You can't bring them into the judiciary. But you can bring them into the lawmaking process. And so that's what we're doing. We're creating this legislature of the people. And then the people would then be able to vote for each legislative introduction. And they would have each proposal, legislative proposal. You'd open up a website. And that website would record who's sponsoring it, who's funding it what's the results of the deliberation, and what's the results of its economic impact, its social impact, all that information is on there. And so citizens would have the ability to be totally informed on the legislation before they get a chance to vote, and when they vote, it's week long. Which means, at the federal level, you can only have 52 legislative decisions, at the state level, 52, at the local level, 52. And this would operate in every single jurisdiction of the United States. And the Citizens' Trust would conduct the election with respect to each one of these legislative proposals in every jurisdiction of the country. Now, that's the short version. The long version is to go ahead and buy this book that I'm just finishing. It's going to be called Human
0: Governance, The Failure of Representative Government and a solution the people, a manual for the enactment and the operation of a legislature of the people. Uh, so when I think about the legislature of the people, sort of a direct democratic thing, we've got you know, 300 plus million people in America, and one of the things that comes up is like, how do you fit all those people in one place? So you talk about a week-long vote. So is that sort of like you could swing by at 11 p.m., get your vote in for the week, and then get out uh, of it? No, no. Here, look at the
4: technology we're using right here you'd be able to be on vacation in France and pick up your phone and vote, whether it's at the state level, local level, or national level. Now, how do you hold a hearing with respect to 100, 200 million voters? Well, that's the technology that we're going to be demanding so that people can do all of these things. There's going to be technology that's going to be invented to do this, but there's enough technology around. The simple technology of asking you in a national election do you want to be able to become a lawmaker? That's only possible since the internet. We couldn't ask that question before or even record it. You know, we'll have an IT department along with a legal department, research department, you name it. This will be like the Congress. In fact, more so. In the Congress, when you got legislation, if you get a jerk like Mitch McConnell doesn't want to take up anything, you're screwed. You can't get anything passed. So now, if you can guarantee that whatever is qualified, in other words, a poll must be taken before the legislation is qualified, and at least 40% of the people must say that they're prepared to vote on this subject. Doesn't mean they vote for or against, they are prepared to accept it. So you have a limitation right there that 40% of the people in a poll have to respond that they want this to be taken up. And then you have another limitation that there's only 52 issues at each level of government that can be voted on in a year. And so if your legislation is not put on schedule, you just wait and next year and be put on schedule. So these all these details are just paramount. If you're going to do a very deliberative job, and lawmaking is very serious,
0: yeah, and that's something I really like about the Legislature of the People premise. When I was reading over the National Citizens Assembly like website that it was a very serious proposal, very detailed. We aren't seriously wrong. Like We're direct Democrats. We believe in direct democracy. We believe in deliberative, face-to-face democracy and increasing and improving democratic systems. And so when I found this, I was just like, yeah, I found it really fascinating. Of just like, It looked like there's been a lot of this teamwork is, going on. Well, in. I've been at it
4: for 30 years. <laughs> right. And with other people involved in it. So this just didn't jump on the table. Just figuring out, it took me three days of thinking to figure out how we can move legislation down. Now what happens in Congress, the majority leader is the one who makes the decision whether you're going to vote or not on the initiative, on the on the law. But what happens in our case is that if once you're qualified, you're guaranteed that there'll be a vote on that piece of legislation. And so how we line it up is chronologically. In other words, if you've introduced it first, then you're voted on first. If you're second, The same thing. So it's a queue that's set up chronologically, and it took me three days to figure that out. So I've been at it for 30 years with a lot of other people who've weighed in, scholars from Harvard, Yale, Georgetown that buy into this, that the people have a right to vote on this. If you don't, then it means that the monopoly that the representatives have, which is 300 years old, is the final, and of course it can't be the final. Because in the Constitution the preamble says we the people do ordain. So we're the ones that created the government, even though it's a bit of a started out as a myth, it's a fact now. And so the procedures that we're using on the election are no different than the precedent that was set up in Article Seven of the Constitution, which is the creation of our government. And so that's what we're following. And that's what's so unique with this new celebrity status that I'm enjoying as a result of David <laughs> and Henry, is that now when the book gets out, it might become a bestseller. And if it becomes a bestseller, then it will be challenged. And that's what I need. I need somebody to challenge this so that we can debate it. And I'll tell you, anybody that wants to challenge it, I'll eat their lunch. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's hard to imagine an assembly of the people voting to go to war with Iraq, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Syria, and <laughs> Afghanistan. Put
4: your fingers right on it. When the people start voting, it's going to be a big difference from the crap that's going on right now with representative government. You'll get control of the military industrial complex. You'll get control of education. You'll get control of health care. All these things that the people can deal with directly. We don't need the monopolists who make laws today to give us the crap that they're giving us, like what Obama gave us with Obamacare, which is nothing but a subsidy to the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry. So, no, you put your finger right on. At the, one of the chapters that I have is the agenda that I personally would like. And uh, it is probably 14 different items four or five constitutional amendments, which are more in detail, and then several legislative uh, proposals. And then you can work your own agenda. You're both very knowledgeable as to what's wrong and what's right. And so you could introduce your own agenda. And what you do is you get on the phone with the, the trust, the citizen's trust, and you ask them if they would dispatch an attorney to read what you want to do. So you turn it into this attorney. He determines the constitutionality of it, makes sure that it's in the proper legalese form, and then he shows it back to you and you look at it Oh, that's what we want to do. And then what you're going to do now is go out and do the poll. Get 40% of the people to agree to want to deal with this issue. And then after that, it goes to a public hearing and on from there in a very deliberative fashion. And then eventually you vote on it. And if the majority vote for it, it's the law of the land.
0: Uh, it's interesting to think about the citizens' trust as a sort of facilitator of saying that we've got these legal technical requirements for lawmaking that it's not reasonable to expect all 330 million of us are going to get that down inside and out. But yeah. we can still take the sort of power and the thoughts of people on what can make things better and then sort of run it through the filter of the citizens' trust to say, is this going to be legal? Is this workable? And then how like bring it into a form that's actually that's right. potentially lawful and begin the process.
4: But that's exactly the way the Senate operates. As a senator, I would tell my staff to go over to the Legislative Council and uh, outline to them this legislation that I want to introduce. They would prepare it, show it to me, and if I agree with it, then I would introduce it. That's exactly the same process that we're saying to you. you got an idea, and you've got several people with you or you're alone, whatever, and you can afford to pay for the cost of a poll. Now, the reason why it's important to pay for the cost of the poll, because if you can't get the thirty, forty thousand dollars nationally to pay for a poll, what you're trying to accomplish doesn't have much merit. And that's what the poll is about, to make sure that enough people think that this issue that you think is merit, they think is merit, and that then it would proceed with the deliberative process. And after the poll is done, you don't spend another penny on the legislative process. It's all paid for by the trust. And the trust gets its money, as I pointed out to you, the same amount of money that the Congress gets annually for its operation of their lawmaking process. And we will then fund ours, which would be a legislature of the people. And since we don't know precisely what it's going to cost, we're just arbitrarily saying that the same amount of money they get, we get. And that would kick us off.
2: And now we go to a pitch meeting
4: at the Citizens
2: Trust, where one American citizen has a big idea.
0: Hey there, I'd like to exercise my democratic right as a citizen to be a lawmaker.
2: Just gotta say, I, like, I've, we've met before. Uh, you've pitched to me many times Uh, it's always the same idea is it the same idea oh
0: yeah it's been updated and I think it's something that we can get the public
2: polls to support right well it is your right so it
0: is my right to petition you with my idea absolutely as many times Um, as I reconfigured the idea you must listen and consider
2: currently that is the way it's administrated yes okay
0: so here's my idea we get the U.S. military, and we go into Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Yemen, Syria, and
2: Somalia. Okay, so I see you added Libya into the list this time. That's different, but overall mm-hmm. the idea seems very similar. Yeah,
0: I was also sort of thinking about maybe Iran, Venezuela, and North Korea, but mm, maybe later. So yeah, that's my idea. I think it'll probably cost $5.5 trillion, something like that. So
2: I still think that this is not only unconstitutional, it's actually something that the American citizens don't want. I mean, I know I'm not supposed to be the arbiter of that. That is
0: true. I don't think it's part of your role to do preemptive polling and simulated polls in your head. You're supposed to help me translate my citizens' vision to law, so it can be evaluated. But it's like, five okay, but what
2: about all the innocent lives that are going to be lost?
0: Not only will innocent people suffer and die, but it will create a spiral of resentment from those around them against us. And
2: is that in the pros column in your head, or the cons?
0: I think it just is. You know, like it is that way. It's not good or bad, it's just the okay, reality let me of it.
2: come at this from a different angle. Why do you want to do oh, this? Oh, yeah,
0: there's a bunch of different little things. Some might have weapons, other ones violate human rights. Okay, but
2: there's a, a lot of countries that violate civil rights you didn't list. Saudi Arabia, for example. No, I
0: think he we'd actually trade arms with them. And Qatar and Israel and Turkey.
2: Is this making sense? Okay, look, I have to ask, have you raised the money... To do the polling, mm, the money's coming. The money's coming. It's coming. Like the transfer has been initiated, and it's just the bank needs, it's you know, two more days. Let's, just, or, let's not worry so much about the money. It's under control. Look, okay. Last time you were here, we made a plan. You were going to raise the money and then come back. That's a necessary part before I'm going to do anything else with this idea. It's not substantially different from the idea presented before, and even if it was, you still need the money. So that hasn't changed since last (sighs) time we talked. Fucking dick. Yeah, I'm a dick. Citizens trust my
0: ass. What measure of democracy is this? The rich can pass laws willy-nilly, but the working men like me, I want to declare seven wars at the cost of five and a half trillion dollars as a common working man. I don't have the money to work through your system. I'm not a billionaire. I'm not Steve Jobs. I'm just a salt-of-the-earth Warmonger, and I want to see the world destabilized. You are badly. a citizen,
2: and it is your right to make laws. But this idea, I'm telling you, I told you last time, this, this idea is not the one. I think you should go home, wipe off whatever whiteboard you have or the Word document you're using, and create a new plan, it's just a completely different law. Come back here with a fresh proposal when you've thought it through. I, I'm telling just scrap this one. That's personal advice. It's not, I can't order you to, but. I don't think your law will make it through the process, just person to person. I'm telling you that. It's not going to be constitutional.
0: All right. what about intercepting everyone's communications on earth legally, everyone except for Americans and illegally Americans. Okay, so
2: that just sounds like a dystopian nightmare. I'm not doing you can't and you can only present one per meeting anyway, so do you want me to sc- I'll escort you out?
0: No, it's okay. I'm out of here. I see what my voice is worth in this sham of a democracy. Systems
2: corrupt man from the top down from the bottom up. It's corrupt and So that citizen and all of his really really bad ideas were never implemented because they aren't ideas that people actually want and the citizens trust system works in this world that
3: we made back to the show I've got four years left on my term. God love you, Senator. Are you ever uh, planning of getting into? Are you planning of running for any higher <laughs> office than U.S. senator? Seriously. I enjoy the Senate very, very now, much. Now, come on, no, no couch yeah. political yeah. answers. Are you ever going to run for the presidency? It, it, well, here I'll be very candid with you. You'd be very foolish. What a man! Me, it'd be very, very it's foolish beautiful. for me to answer that question straight on. Why? Well, it's just not politic, and you have to. Again, operate within the system of you know, the political parameters. Why? I keep asking. You know, you are a maverick. The, You're a man who doesn't no, believe in no, operating No, I'm not a no, maverick. I, I think it's an art, and you, you get to the edge, but you don't fall off the precipice, and you stay within the, the conventions of the system, but you push the system in a direction that it should be going. And what I think is very important is to push the system into a more representative, direction with the electronic medium we can return this system of government to the town meeting the process where everybody gets involved where the people who make policy are the people who suffer policy that's a very important facet
2: on your website there's a counter that says this much money spent on regime change since 2001 it's currently at about five and a half trillion dollars and uh ticking up as I look at it. One of the things that's really set your campaign and the platform apart from pretty much every other candidate is your absolute opposition to foreign wars and American empire in general. I was just wondering if you could talk about why it's so important not to use the American military to kill people around the world. Well, there
4: was a general friend of mine, a three-star general, there are some good ones, not that many, but there are some. And he called me on the phone during the last presidential contest when I was a candidate. He says, Mike, he says, you know what's worse than soldiers dying in vain? And I said, no, what is? And he said, more soldiers dying in vain. The people who died in Vietnam died in vain. The people who went to war in Iraq died in vain. Well, the other issue which is another form of war, and that's the the sanctions. Now, we sanctioned Iraq during the Clinton administration, and we literally killed 500,000 kids. And Madeleine Albright, responding to that, said, yeah, that's accurate, but it was was collateral damage. Well, killing 500,000 kids is not collateral damage, it's murder. And we're doing the same thing with, with Venezuela right now. Thousands of kids are dying because of lack of medicine, food, medical attention. We're doing it. We, the American people, who believe in freedom, we believe in all these good things for everybody. But if the people don't count out to us and our imperialistic desires, then we punish them. And it's loss of life that we do. That's the tragedy of what we have today when we're ruled by the military-industrial complex in combination with Wall Street. And then when you see all these presidential candidates, how many of them acknowledge the 500-pound gorilla in room at the military-industrial complex? You know, Tulsi Gabbard, Bernie, that's about it. I haven't heard that from any of the others publicly. Now, they, they may harbor that view, but they're not saying anything about it. And if you don't say anything about that problem, what you're saying is that once you get elected to office, you're going to be nothing but a puppet. A puppet. Of the military industrial complex and we've had too much of that in congress
0: yeah on that subject you have 18 years experience elected in the senate and the house that, of representatives yeah yeah, class, um, and yeah could you speak a bit on some of in that role, the types of pressures that you feel. Now, I assume that there's lots of stuff like lobbying is very common. And like what it is about these roles that pushes people away from the decency and, and the basic humanity of it? What is it about being in that position and the culture that can have people turn a blind eye to literally the deaths of children at their hand?
4: It's not a blind eye. It's criminal. And basically, politicians are cowards. They plead for you to vote for them to get elected. And then they live in fear that they're not getting the message you want to hear across. So they, when they campaign, they're telling you what you want to hear. They respond primarily to the money to get them elected and keep them in office. So the process, and that's of course the reason why I'm advocating a legislature of the people, because the present system of representative government is flawed. It's terrible. And that's what we're talking about. You can buy the legislature. But you can buy the people, as a majoritarian decision-making. So we are ruled right now by a minority. And what I'm talking about with the legislature of the people is to be ruled by a majority. And so that's not rocket science to understand those two concepts and to understand the fact that the representatives have a monopoly on making laws. And all we can do is on election day is reaffirm giving them that monopoly, which is within the Constitution, written in section one of the Constitution.
0: something i I really, really appreciate about your campaign is the pushing of the boundaries when it comes to the issues of militarism and democracy and and corruption. And the idea that we can end war is something that's always been a really motivating, thing for me since I first became sort of politically engaged with this idea that we shouldn't be at perpetual war with the entire world forever, with no limitations on the battlefield, no limitations on anything. Like we came up in the era of 9-11, post-9-11 mass surveillance and this global war on terror. And something that I often encounter if you talk about ending war, it's framed in terms of like this naivety, like you're naive to even demand or think that we shouldn't be at war with Somalia, Iraq, Libya, Yemen, Syria, and Afghanistan. How foolish are these kids that think that we could stop being at war?
4: Because they're trying to get the message across that there's a threat. You've got to develop your paranoia so that you live in fear that somebody's going to attack you, when in point of fact, there's nobody on earth that's going to attack us. It would be suicide. So your point is well taken. We have been duped and dumbed down to believing and nurturing a paranoia and fear. We should listen to the words of Roosevelt. We have nothing to fear but fear itself, and that's what's going on in our society today. It's just terrible. We're in a lockdown, and in point of fact, we're impotent, we're impotent. Well, here, tell me who's gonna change the power of the military industrial complex who have economic interest in every single congressional district of the country. Tell me how you're gonna solve that running for office. Uh, I think it's important to elect good people office. I want to see Bernie, I want to see Tulsa get Vice President. But as far as uh, realistically realizing, will they get their agenda through? No, because you'll, you'll still have the Republicans able to filibuster in the Senate. And so if that's the case, then if you really want to make change, you've got to empower the people to make laws. You've got to put in place a legislature of the people, and then you can put your agenda before the people, and the people will enact it. You don't have to go to the Congress. You don't have to go to the Senate. You don't have to out to the elites that control our society. The people will control our society through a process of lawmaking. Law is the central core of human governance. Law is where it's at. And so people who who protest, who think they can get this by requesting, that's just pie in the sky. What you really have to do is to be able to make laws, because that's where the power is. And right now, that power is in a monopolistic hold by representative government.
0: A particular part of your platform really caught my imagination when I read it, which was to rename the Department of Defense the Department of War and create a Department of Peace. And that's so up our alley on the show. Like that, that is like when we read that we pumped our fists.
4: And that's so we can my God, this is not rocket science. Entry. Now we do have efforts to have a Department of Peace, but of course it's run by the CIA, so you can see how much peace we're getting out of it. it's ridiculous. So, no, that's the beauty of it. If you put the people in charge in a majoritarian governing process, they will be able to make these decisions easy. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that killing another human being is not moral. But we Americans, we're a violent people. You know, after slavery, after the genocide of the indigenous people, we've got a a psyche that's pretty screwed up, and it shows in our public policies.
0: Now it's time for the old doctor's office waiting room sketch. So is someone sitting here?
2: Oh, no. Just reading this magazine. It's like two years old. Doctor's offices, am I right? I
0: know, right? The magazines are so old. It's like, do you have any active subscriptions? I mean, what's that toy with the little... Colored blocks on metal wires that go around like that. Is that a fun for anyone? Where
2: do doctor offices get those toys from? Like, is there some doctor depot? Like, every office needs one. some kids have that bullshit at home? I guess.
0: You know what's crazy? People who are 18 years old yeah. now, in the year 2019, weren't around for 9-11. Like, they were, like, maybe conceived.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Weird. they're, like, adult. They're, like, driving, voting. Yeah, legal adults. Jesus, You're making me feel
0: well, like, old. And I'm sure everyone under the age of, probably, what, 25-ish, probably doesn't remember when 9-11 happened. Like, they don't have that, like, m- cultural moment. Like, yeah, I was pretty yeah, young. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I remember that shit.
2: Oh, yeah, me too. All day at school, showing news and stuff. It was just, Crazy thing. You know, this
0: is the thing about the whole like the war on terrorism stuff, the invasion of Iraq in two thousand three, and then Afghanistan, and now it's Somalia, Libya, Yemen. You know, it looks like it might be Iran, Venezuela, and North Korea with John Bolton and this militarism and stuff. I mean, where did this all start? This all started. You know, Bush keep, Jr. Yeah, Bush. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, what the fuck? I mean, obviously Trump. He's crude. He does horrible things. I'm not saying he's good. I'm not defending him, but we all give him all this shit. And then they just like give George W. Bush a pass, but they're part of the same continuity. They've got the same cruelty, the same inhumanity, similarly escalating wars. But W. Bush did something even worse. He, he launched a unilateral and unjustifiable war halfway around the world for resource wealth based on false pretenses, launching a global battlefield in a war against the tactic, which has no end date suspends the civil liberties of everyone on planet Earth, places everyone under surveillance for the threat of the boogeyman that they created by doing it in the first place. You know, this is unspeakable crime. This is unspeakable cruelty and violence against humanity. We should all be throwing shoes at George W. fucking Bush. War criminals get the shoe.
2: You know, I wouldn't mind walking home with just one shoe on to make that happen. Although I guess you'd probably get arrested after you try. I wouldn't have to walk home, get a ride. the police but yeah no I couldn't agree more it's so horrifying what he did like we have trouble speaking about it because it's been 18 years there's 16 years since Iraq and it seems so normal now it's just it's the world we live in it's just how things are so it you know people aren't still as angry about it as you are right now and i just want to say like i appreciate your emotions here because that's how we should feel about this when the
0: united states started an illegal war in yemen what percentage of the population that even made a blip on their fucking radar at all New war, new country. How much should I pay
2: attention? Yeah, I don't even know. When did that Man, start? Man,
0: fucking George W. Bush and fucking Rumsfeld and fucking Dick Cheney and fucking Tony Blair and all these fucking backroom boys, horny to bomb, sociopaths or idiots fucking are playing with a lit powder keg. They bet the future of humanity on this shit. They started processes that may or may not take us all out it's unforgivable absolutely unforgivable yeah
2: he's not behind bars any person who believes that anyone in the world should be in prison it should be george w bush it should be that group of people uh, there's been no crime on that scale in recent memory like that that you can point to it's certainly not in our lifetimes
0: yeah and every casualty is a human being that had a full life real people and innocent people a lot of the time Yeah It's not enemy majority. combatants It's yeah. the casualties of these war are human beings And like it's just so People don't talk about it because it like It hurts to think about
2: It hurts worse than the medical issue That I'm at the doctors here to get looked at And that hurts let me tell you Oh yeah
0: I'm just here for like more of a routine
2: checkup No yeah I have some invisible pain Like you would know from looking at me but
0: Oh yeah. I'm sure to hear that man that really sucks
2: Oh yeah no, I wasn't looking for it. Thank you yeah thank you Oh, hey,
0: look, in the pile, they have actually have a magazine from when the Iraq War was launched. That's how old these magazines are. Doctor's offices, am I right? <laughs> it's 2003, going oh, into God. Iraq. Still weapons of mass destruction, remember that? Remember that intentional lie to the people of the world to justify a resource extraction war on the other side of the world?
2: Yeah, how could I forget? What's that? Oh. Yeah, I think they just called me, so it was was nice meeting you, but I'm going to head on in there. Super nice to meet you, and best of luck with your ailment. Another thing in your platform, on the front of wealth and economic inequality, it calls for setting up an American national fund, which is modeled after the Alaskan Permanent Fund, a collectively owned social trust that pays yearly dividends to every American citizen. And it's such a wonderful idea to have this trust of collectively owned assets that everybody gets a piece of. I, kn- I know they do something like this already in Alaska, which is where you served in the Senate, and I was just curious about how that works. Okay, and what first you off,
4: I haven't seen what David and Henry did with respect to that, but the Alaska model is not replica. The money for the permanent fund in Alaska came from the sale of oil. It didn't come from taxation, and so it was a, a rainy day fund that was set aside and then the corpus can't be touched, then it's just the interest on it that's dispersed to the public every year, and around $1,000, $1,200 they get. That's not what I'm advocating nationally. Nor Yang, who really doesn't understand it, he figures, well, we can do like we do in Alaska, the only difference is we'll turn around and tax you, and then give you $1,000. What we need to do is alter capitalism so that it becomes inclusive capitalism. Now, let me give you the concept. The profits of capital must pay for the cost of capital. If that doesn't happen, there's no capitalism. So now, how do the rich get rich? They turn around and borrow money to be able to buy the capital item and then let the profits of that capital item pay back the loan. And then at the end of the exercise, the rich have expanded their wealth. And so that's how the rich get richer. Now, what we need to do, and it's not rocket science, is to turn around and say, let's have a situation, and let me give you an example. The trucking industry is going to have fallen on hard times because once these trucks can drive themselves around the country, there's going to be thousands of truck drivers that are going to be unemployed. They're going to be unemployed as a result of technological advancement, which is what causes most unemployment now. It's not the jobs overseas. What causes most is obsolescence. So now, what happens before? <laughs> the, so the truck driver is really simple. We can lend to all the truck drivers, or the Teamsters Union could take their their funds, which they have a zillion of it. They could turn around and they could make a loan to the truck driver, so the truck driver can buy the truck. He buys the new automated truck. Now immediately, you put the truck to work. And that's going to throw off profits. Now, part of the profits go back to pay off the loan that he was using to acquire the truck. And then once the loan is paid off, he'll be a rich man because he'll have a productive asset that will pay him money as long as the truck is there. And so that's called inclusive capitalism. You can do the same thing with windmills. You can take a farmer who's in a wind corridor and say to the farmer, look at What we'll do is, we'll lend you the money to build a windmill, but you have to incorporate yourself and put in this three or four acres of land in the corporation, and you have to go ahead and include four other human beings who do not have any net worth as your partners, as owners of this new windmill. So you borrow the money from the government, the government requires that certain contractors can go ahead and put the windmill in place, And then once the windmill is generating power, it's sold to the utility in question. And then the profits then go to repay the government for the loan. Now the windmill costs $5 million. There's five people involved in this. And then once the windmill is paid off, so that means you've made 5 millionaires just by the device of loaning money. And so this inclusive capitalism is really the answer to our problem. It's not playing games with taxation and what have you. The wealthy will outsmart you anytime you go after them. And so the best way to deal with this is to stay away from them and don't let them get involved in the legislature of the people. So that's what I advocate. It's called
0: inclusive capitalism. This seems to fit into on the platform. There's a few different steps advocated for, like worker control of workplaces, uh, including right to own legislation where workers get first dibs if their workplace is being sold off, that the uh, workers get the right exactly to. It.
4: Exactly. Exactly. That's it. Now, when you do this on a national level, boy, I'll tell you, it won't take a lot of years before this thing, everybody's well off. You can do th- clever things like this that a utility company, When it expands its ability to provide electricity, it has to do it through equities, not through loans. So it means that now the utility issues stock in order to get the capital. Somebody's got to buy the stock. Well, the government can loan the money to the citizens who are served by that utility to be able to buy the stock of that utility and use the profits of that stock with dividends to go ahead and pay off the loan. And so eventually, you have a situation where the utilities are owned by the ratepayers who enjoy the benefits of the utilities. And so, think of what you can do with just a stroke of a pen in this kind of a law around the country. Yeah, and you can do this for anybody that's uh, producing. And of course, you solve the whole problem of obsolescence, which is what's putting people out of work. Now, what happens is you're not taking money away from the rich, but you're depressing the rate of growth that they have in getting rich. And that amount of depression takes place is now going to the average citizen in society. Now, I really haven't focused on what Henry and David have written that you are referring to. But this is really the concept that I'm involved in. And it's not the Alaska's permanent fund. But unless everybody' and of course we don't want everybody to have oil because we need to cap our carbon industries and so Alaska is totally unique in that
3: is that David Gravel, the candidate,
0: Gravel, his Post. wife Whitney, Yikes. and his young campaign team talk through the
5: Gravel 2020 platform. <laughs> First issue is uh, re Syria.
3: Oh, out of Syria, not of Afghanistan, and not of Iraq, yeah, yeah, and out of North, uh, South Korea. Period. All of them. And if you have any thoughts on forgiving student debt? Um, <laughs> oh God, wipe out all student debt. I I think it's criminal. Uh, David, you also you you missed
4: abolish ICE. <laughs> oh, abolish
1: ICE. That's an important one. Good. Okay.
4: Done. Done. We agree to that one. Push him down the stairs. Yeah.
0: So, Senator Gravel has a really interesting and detailed platform that is probably the best in the race as far as like platforms go. Just yeah. a lot of really
2: interesting ideas and obviously not afraid to be bold. I know we've talked about it already, but the foreign policy stuff is so great. The departments of peace and war bring home every troop, big cuts in military spending, opposing Israeli apartheid. Ending support for Saudi Arabia, banning foreign arms sales, great foreign policy.
0: Well, then there's stuff like housing, healthcare, and internet access as a human right. Encouraging cooperative businesses through right-to-own legislation. Supports the Green New Deal. And
2: ending the drug war. Breaking up big businesses. Abolishing the death penalty. Supporting individuals with disabilities. Amnesty for Whistleblowers, Abolishing the Electoral College, Ranked Choice Voting.
0: Something I was really interested to see was a National Reparations Trust Fund. So there's been a lot of discussion recently around the issue of reparations for the history of slavery in the United States. The Gravel Campaign proposes establishing a National Reparations Trust Fund where $30 billion is put into it per year by the federal government. Each year, 20% of the fund is paid out, 25% of that going towards programs that benefit disadvantaged communities, and 75% which go directly to those disadvantaged groups, which would result in a payment of tens of thousands of dollars to each descendant of slaves over the course of their lifetime. It's cool to see like a specific version of how a reparations thing could
2: function. Yeah, actually having a detailed plan for it and it seeming like eminently doable. They
0: propose a national commission on reparations to assess claims from descendants of those affected by discriminatory government policies, including slavery, Jim Crow, redlining and Native American treaty violations. Yeah, the detail of the proposal really makes you be able to imagine it actually happening, and I think that's excellent.
2: One of my favorite things in here is in the section about reforming corporate law, and it mentions establishing a corporate harm prosecution agency which would have broad oversight to investigate, subpoena, and return binding claims with its findings on negative externalities that corporations produce. So the example they give is the $6.2 billion spent on welfare each year due to Walmart's low pay the agency would be able to make a ruling on that negative externality and ask Walmart to either pay that money back or work out an agreement on how to amend the problem, essentially, is what would happen. Creating a government agency that's looking at the things that corporations do that are bad for society, that they get away with, Because capitalism isn't set up to take care of externalities generally, so this agency is meant to counter that. It's just a really interesting idea. Usually the way you deal with externalities, like pollution, like, let's make a rule against pollution. It's like each specific thing, but they're saying, no, let's set up an agency that'll look at all of these kinds of things and can issue rulings for each one. I think that's a fantastic policy.
0: Yeah, no, that's excellent. And again, it's like a really practical framework for dealing with some of the serious issues that we've inherited because if you create a legal process to hold organizations accountable for their impacts on the world through like a legal process in a structured way, like that gives you a really powerful tool There's such a strong incentive to clean up your own act if you're going to be held legally liable for pollution, labor violations, types of stuff that too often huge corporations get away with. Uh, Something else sort of wonkish I just really, really liked is there's these two proposals, abolishing the Senate as we know it and adopting the Wyoming rule. And what those two things are is about ensuring proportionality in the House of Representatives and the Senate. The Wyoming rule says that basically every person's vote should be worth the same and every representative in the House of Representatives should have the same amount of power. So what that means, and the reason it's called the Wyoming rule is because Wyoming is the state that has the lowest population to representative ratio. So the Wyoming rule universalizes the Wyoming population to representative ratio across the entire country, which means that every representative represents the same amount of voters instead of having Wildly different amount of voters that different representatives represent. And the other proposal, abolishing the Senate as we know it, is maintaining the two senator structure per state, but making senators' votes proportionate to the population that they represent. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of like the opposite way, like an inverted way of ensuring the same thing, which is that making sure that individuals' votes are worth the same that you don't have a massively populated state like California that has almost no representation in the Senate compared to barely populated states that have the exact same representation. I love that sort of like wonky nerd shit around democracy and making it like not fucked
2: up. Yeah, it tickles a part of my like abstract technocratic dial tuning brain. It's like really fun.
0: And just moving institutions close to structural justice is
2: awesome. The last thing I want to talk about just brief. Oh, well, I guess I'll say two things briefly. One, they do have a public banking for all on there, which is great. Like a public option for banking, national banks, municipal works being run through public banks so that interest and stuff on bank loans go back into the government to be used on social good rather than for corporate profit. All this it's great. But the thing that I do want to hit is I want to disagree slightly with the senator about his own platform. He thinks that this part of his platform wouldn't work. I think that it would work. I think he I maybe I didn't explain it well enough to him earlier in the interview, but the setting up of an American national fund in the policy proposal on this part of the page, they actually link to Matt Brüning's proposal for an American Solidarity Fund, which I recommend anyone go out there and read. It's fantastic. The idea is that the fund is created and the government gradually accumulates assets in the fund, such as stocks, bonds, real estate, just collecting more and more of these assets under this huge public trust that everyone gets a share in. The value of the shares of the citizen owners increase. They get yearly universal basic dividends that are tied to actual land, actual resources. It's not like if inflation happens, the value changes. You know, it's not like a universal basic income check where if the value of money changed, it would mess it all up. This fluctuates with the economy in the same way. It's a really good proposal.
0: And I think this type of stuff being talked about and introduced in the discourse is really, really like useful and awesome and maybe inspires more people to be tickled the way i am by wonkish policy details towards utopia what sort of like technical little tweaks bring you huge steps towards utopia mm, yeah yeah excellent platform 10 out of Great 10 job teens i think these teens should run for president once they're 35 because you have to be 35 to run for president i think that
2: yeah they should at least consider it i don't want to tell them what to do but they should consider it maybe start at a local race start at a school board
0: work your way up Get a killer social media presence. Fundraise from across the country with your fiery hot takes. Move up from the school board to Congress, from Congress to Senate. Then use your power within the Senate to read classified documents into the public record. I mean, it's worth should consider.
2: Definitely, it might be beneficial.
0: So I guess, broadly speaking, when it comes to these wars, like I mentioned, I've listed off the countries that uh, the U.S. is currently in, and then obviously Iran, Venezuela, and North Korea seem never far away. They're always rattling the sabers about these countries. What steps would you take as president to demilitarize, to stop these conflicts, and move towards a a world order that isn't dominated by U.S. imperialism? Day
2: one, you
4: won, you're sworn in. What are you going to do? first thing I do is use the executive orders to get the hell out of. Afghanistan, and to go ahead and void all of the sanctions that were laying on everybody. And then w- what I would do is try to get a reform going at the United Nations, so that as we leave these 100, 300 military bases that we have around, because I'll start closing them. And so rather than leave the bases unused, turn them over to the United Nations, because then they would, rather than we being the policemen of the world, they would have the job of the policemen of the world and they'd have credentials to do that and the wherewithal to do that. So that's exactly what I would do on the first day is uh, get the hell out of all of these conflicts, enclose all the bases we have around the world and then concentrate on the wealth that we have on education, on healthcare and infrastructure and invite the companies like Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and others and bring them into the Roosevelt room and say, Look at fellas, I don't want to put you out of business, but you're gonna to have to change your business. What you need to do is get smart with Maglev and China is setting up their whole Maglev industry. We will be dwarfed in a decade here if we don't deal with our infrastructure. And yet we have the talent, we have the science, and so what we need to do is to take these people that are making profits off of war and make them get profits off of infrastructure so that we can build a community for the 21st century. And that means refurbishing all of the productive assets of the have society. That's just the beginning of what I would do. Now, the problem that I would have is the same problem Bernie will have, is how do I get a lot of this through the Senate? And the only way that I would do that would be to turn around on the first day and uh, tell the American people that there's going to be a national election and it's going to be to empower the American people as lawmakers in a legislature of the people. That's the first thing I do. And then that would take a year, about two years to set up. And so by the time that happens, I'll be ready to get the rest of my agenda enacted into law permanently and not just with the executive orders.
0: When we talk about pulling out of these countries and closing down the military bases, the counterpoint, the question that then comes up is, well, what do we do about bad actors, you know, human rights abusers? Because the whole mythology of the America's world police is, oh, we need to stop the rise of the next Hitler. And that's what they sort of claim to be doing, right? Anytime they intervene anywhere, they're like, oh, look at these awful human rights abuses, stuff like that. So how can we deal with the threat of global bad actors, without the global militarism?
4: Well, first off, you'd have to go back to Woodrow Wilson. When he entered the war on the side of the British and the French, what happened, that set the stage for the avenging of what had happened and creating the basis for the Second World War. So if you turn around and say, well, how do you solve the problem in Afghanistan? First off, you don't continue doing what you're doing because what you're doing is not successful. And so what we need to do is to strengthen the United Nations and let the world nations support their policies to correct these bad actors as they appear. And you would have a lot more credibility to do it, because what we do is we're opposed to the bad actors, but some of the bad actors we make as our allies. In fact, we love the stability bad actors provide. And so that's what we need to be able to get over. And so, like in Afghanistan, I'll just get out. What are the consequences going to be? It's up to the Afghanis. I mean, it's their country. And if they need any help, let them go to the United Nations. That's where the help should come from. And we should raise the contribution that we make to the United Nations. Or you can turn around and say the United Nations is no longer going to be funded with uh, assessments on the member countries. It's going to be funded by a tax on the economic trades that take place worldwide. You won't even notice it. It'd be one penny uh, that every time there's a trade, one penny would go to the UN. And that amount would amount to billions and billions of dollars that they can now deal. See, the UN doesn't really have an army. They don't have an air force. They don't have a navy. They need all these things if they're going to really handle the problems that are in society. And so what we need to do is eventually have a situation of a federated global government. what What made the United States work so well is that we set up a federation. We had every one of the thirteen colonies had its own sovereignty. New York was at war with Connecticut. You know they all had their problems. And so the answer was to turn around and say, you can't go to war. You can't have a military. And if you have a military, it can be federalized for the national interest. So that's what needs to happen at the global level. Now, what we've got right now is a bunch of rednecks that think that the world's going to come to an end if they cede sovereignty, the ability to make war. That's really what it's about. They want the ability to make war, to kill other human beings. And rational people should not be supporting that attitude within the United States. As I pointed out, with slavery and the, the genocide we committed on indigenous people, has coarsened the American psyche. And so we have this internal problem in our psyche. And uh, all we got to do is be patient and try to deal. But the first thing we do is end our whole quest for empire. And, and, and the end of humorous of everybody thinking we're better than anybody else. We're not better than anybody else. And the fact that we think we are is a foolish view of, of our powers. We're not better than anybody else. We're just like everybody else. Well, it was
0: really awesome to speak to you, Senator Gravel, and we're going to boost your message and uh, And hopefully get (laughs) you into the debate.
4: Push the book when it's out. As soon as the book comes out in August, you push it like hell because if we can get mainstream media to really recognize the book and to debate it, that's when the rubber hits the road. And so what the kids are doing is setting the stage for this. Like I say... At my age, I had given up. I was writing a book for a legacy, but now the, the book could possibly be the legacy right now. And so I'm on the last chapter, and, and it's, it's going to be a real dozer. All of the things we're talking, about, awesome. I, I touch upon.
2: Yeah, we'll definitely boost the book. And yeah, those kids, those teens, they're treating you well. They're.
4: Yeah,
2: they, they give me all kinds
4: of reference. They think I'm a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good.
2: Welcome to Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater.
0: This Gravel campaign for president is just more organizing time wasted on the dead end of electoral politics. You think that getting a wonkish senator out of retirement to run on a fictitious package of harebrained reforms is going to bring about the end of capitalism? No way. We need to start supporting our communities, not politicians.
2: I don't think those things are in opposition necessarily. And I think the amplification a presidential campaign can give for really wonderful policy proposals you call them hairbrained reforms. Some of these things are legit fantastic on that platform. Yeah, it's not going to end capitalism. It doesn't say it's going to end capitalism anywhere. He's never run on ending capitalism. Nobody's running for president on ending capitalism. That's beside the point. You can support communities by supporting candidacies, good candidacies like Gravel's.
0: Oh yeah. Gravel doesn't want to end capitalism. He wants to empower capitalism by turning citizens into shareholders. The oppressed people of the world don't need a more inclusive capitalism. They need the whole system to be overturned
2: but certainly you understand that not everything that's good is synonymous with that ultimate goal and that things that aren't synonymous with that ultimate goal can still be positive steps in that direction even his inclusive capitalism idea which is a means of redistributing means of production into more and more workers hands literally it's not perfect it's not fully automated luxury communism but it's an interesting different idea that I'm glad is being put out there I think it's cool and I think a world where more workers owned their means of production and cooperative owning environments and stuff, or owned the utilities, like he describes, would better place them to take more steps towards the direction of that ultimate goal we share. It stinks to high
0: heaven of rotten, dirty reformism in here. This whole thing is insufficiently radical. If you want to waste time backing a presidential candidate who doesn't intend to win, who talks like a mixture between a 2009 conspiracy theorist and the people that 2009 conspiracy theorists were afraid of advocating for a world government and for the UN to have a military, for states to lose their sovereignty. Honestly, I think that's really dope. I love those proposals so awesome but i'm not into this whole like diddling on the margin stuff the platform is insufficient i'm a revolutionary you're a reformer sorry dude not good enough
2: look there's only three things we can do to move towards a better society right now that's prefiguration that's narrative work and entryism into political movements organizations and electoral politics And use our positions in those organizations to redirect their assets to good ends. That's what we can do right now. I mean, yes, we can think about what a revolution would be like. Imagine how glorious it will be Buy guns or something. But that's not helping people. The things that are helping people right now is prefiguration, narrative work, and entryism. And so, yes, I'm doing those things. I think that's what we should all be doing right now, including you anything else is just kind of a naive idealistic fantasy
0: lmao that's not even worth responding
2: to and we'll see you next time for another episode of keyboard warrior radio theater So just a quick, seriously wrong podcast, editor's note, we tried to get the teens on the phone, get them on Skype, just quick. You know, they helped set up this interview with Gravel for us, we thought it'd be a breeze. Obviously they're busy running a national presidential US election campaign with just a few people but very strangely they did not come through on our request for an interview and now we sent them the questions we were gonna ask them we were totally upfront about it and some have suggested I wouldn't necessarily say this myself but it is suspicious some have suggested that the questions might have scared them off so for example the first question was Can you talk a little bit about your origin story, how you came to be running the campaign, and what about the senator you were inspired by? No comment on that, I guess, from the teens. Can only leave us to fill in the gaps ourselves and wonder just how they came to be running this campaign. Some have said it's suspicious, let the audience decide. Next question was, I'm not sure your exact age, but you were either not born yet or tiny drooling babies when 9-11 happened any comment they didn't actually have a comment on that one either they definitely saw the questions got the message silence speaks volumes some say whether that's relevant here i'll let you decide are either of you teens considering running for president in 2036 tough question i know but i think pretty fair no response from the teens no answer and finally the most troubling question to me that there was no answer for was summer warning of a potential teen uprising resulting in a long prophesized climactic battle of the young against the old do you feel that this is inevitable or are there any steps that we could take to avoid it now really if they had just answered this one question i think everyone would have been satisfied but no answer yet again from the teens on that one and, you know, we're journalists on the show. We're just here to ask questions, try to find answers. But when you ask an incisive, cutting question like that, send it to the teens on their Twitter. Like, I sent this to them on Twitter. They saw the questions. They did not answer. And, yeah, I'll let you all decide what to
5: think about it. Back to the show. We're at war. War against fairness and trials and sentencing war against housing health and internet is a human right we're at war with the green new deal we're at war with ending war i'm felix bones your spooky conductor and welcome to narrative wars because there's a war on for your story hey there folks at the top of the hour it's me felix bones reading papers i got distributed across my desk don't have the youtube ad money coming in now So our products are getting more bizarre. Today's episode is sponsored by HeteroGuard. Now, HeteroGuard is a three times a day pill and supplement that will protect you from turning gay from satellite rays. Now, I swear by HeteroGuard, I use it myself. And I want to thank our supporters at HeteroGuard for bringing us through this tough, tough time. On today's episode, Senator Mike Gravel, good guy. Ran into him at a number of times at uh, different conferences. Actually had him on the show a couple times gone off the deep end he's talking about global government folks that's right centralizing power and authority taking away autonomy and freedom from the american people it is sickening and i wonder who got to him now i've got an expert on today who uh claims to have uncovered who has gotten to him i want to thank you so much for being on the show michaela your work your research your blogging is winning the war. Oh,
2: thank you. That is so flattering. And can I just say, maybe to flatter you back a little bit, that I have been sleeping on one of your lazy bones, Felix Bones mattresses for the past ninety days, and I won't be returning mine. It is Well you have so the right great. to do it. I still have ten days left. That's right. But I don't think I'm going to because my back feels so good. My bones sink right in.
5: Well, I'm glad to hear about that. I'm glad to hear about your bones and like she said 100-day money-back guarantee, lazy bones, rest your bones on a Felix Bones patented mattress, shipped to your house in three weeks.
2: And also, I'll just mention that I don't take hetero guard and that I have turned gay, but that's what I wanted.
5: Well, that's wonderful to hear. You know what? We support the LGBT community on the show. And
2: it shows. So, Mike Gravel, who got to him, you already know, but your audience doesn't. I forwarded you the documents before I got here, and I'm sorry to say that it is the teens. Now, many people know his campaign being run by two teens. Sickening. Yeah, teens in general. Ugh, keep them away from me. But these teens specifically, I have reason to believe maybe robots. I don't have confirmation on that part yet, just kind of evil robots. But what I do know is that they have implanted a chip in Mr. Gravel's head, and they are controlling him with a PlayStation 2 controller
5: makes sense that a teen would know their way around a PlayStation controller. This fits into what I've been saying for weeks on the show. And we've got all sorts of documents. If you subscribe as a Narrative Wars insider, we'll show you all the documents. This is legit. This is above board. I've talked to people at the top of the FBI, the CIA, the Pentagon. This is happening in public. They're talking about this every single day. In their internal memos, we've got them. I was just talking to someone the other day. Chief of police for the New York Police Department. I won't mention his name. But he was telling me, and there's scads of evidence for this. Teens are going to rise up. The teens are plotting a rebellion. It's young versus old. And this time, the young are playing for keeps. This is just around the corner. And that's the agenda. I'm just going to put it out there. We've got the evidence. I got people at the top of the military telling me this. Everyone's a bus. Teen it's, uprising.
2: It's horrifying. And it's completely consistent with my research. And, you know, I'm not just saying this because I sometimes fantasize about a world where teens are shot on sight. I understand that that's not ideal but if they're gonna cause an uprising that's a war at that point right so it would be okay to shoot them in a war yes yeah exactly so if you combatant rules if there are any teens listening i personally implore you to please reconsider your war against the old we're here too and we matter
5: okay folks so if you want to protect yourself from these horrible teens we've got this incredible product it's called teen guard teen guard is a three times a day daily pill and supplement which keeps you safe from teens now these are jeering teens snickering teens at the mall the teens that would make fun of you for being lame or different we'll keep them away thrice daily pill in the narrative war store after the break we've sent a young man out on the streets to antagonize real life teens stay tuned
0: One last question. Now, this is a little bit of a weird question, but this is our audience will absolutely love it. Have you ever Googled Murray Bookchin? Do you know Murray Bookchin? No, I don't. He's a direct Democrat, sort of like a, an anarchist yes. author U.S. Yes. from Vermont. Murray Bookchin. Murray Bookchin? When do you want me to do this? If you Google it right now, I, I think everyone in our audience would cheer. <laughs> Just
4: Google? I'm not sure I know how to Google on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the kids to do it, but I've got a real great phone. It will take the next 10 years for me to fully operate. Right. <laughs> so it, it, I've got my shortcomings. So I can go on my computer and Google, but I've never Googled on my phone. But I, I can go to Sapphire or go Google Chrome. Well, I, I'll lose you if I do
2: that. You might lose the wind. We'll stay connected.
4: We'll stay connected? Okay, well then here, let me get this thing open. Sure. Oh, good. You're up there in a the corner. I see you. Okay, there's where Google and uh, Murray M U R R Y A Y. And what's the last name?
0: Bookchin. So, like the word book and then the word chin, all one word. O
4: O K C H I N, right? Yeah. Yeah, we had Murray Bookchin, American author. I just did that. Okay, Murray Bookchin, Wikipedia. I got his pictures, and he looks like, come in, come in. Yeah, four. Okay, just come on in. I'm just finishing up right now. So I got Murray Bookchin. What do you want me to do with
0: him? Awesome. Well, if you want to read about him, he's one of our favorite philosophers on the show and our audience. I, they're going to be so excited that you Googled him okay. because they, <laughs> su- my- they support him and they support you. And I've got
4: somebody else who just came in, so uh, that's it. Yeah, yeah well, we'll let you go there. But yeah, I, it was such a pleasure. Having me. And I'll read up on Murray Bookchin a little later, okay? Awesome. Well, that's
0: massively, massively appreciated. Thank you so much, Senator.
4: Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a really fun interview. Really fascinating.
2: I wonder if he's reading that tab right now (laughs) it's like it's like an hour later i hope so or at least i hope it's still open
0: i love how you just sort of like charismatically like i have no idea how to use my phone (laughs) like (laughs) i I hope to be like that someday when technology like at 90 years old running for president it's amazing and just like i mean anyone who calls to turn the department of defense into the department of war and institute a department of peace is a fucking g that's top tier (laughs) platform like that Platform resonates with me on a deep level because it's so whimsical. It's like Dr. Seuss. It's like Dr. Seuss shit. Yeah, but
2: it's also just like really straight talky. Like I know what you're saying. It's like whimsical, but it's also like straight to the point and exactly what the department is, the Department of War. He's getting rid of a euphemism there and just saying like, let's be real. Oh, it's so awesome.
0: (sighs) You know, President Gravel's got a good ring to it. I could really see that being an interesting time in history if that, that <laughs> oh, absolutely. unfolded. Yeah. So this has been the Seriously Wrong Podcast. This is a 2020 election special featuring easily top five candidate for president. Top three. Yeah. No, top no, no, one.
2: Potentially the best American candidate for president talking to just two Canadian boys. Unsuspect. He probably didn't even know we were Canadian. <laughs> we tricked him. And... <laughs> and if you like our podcast if you want to support what you're doing if you want us to be able to keep doing it because we love doing it and if you want access to bonus episodes our full archive we're doing a series about revolutions there's a secret facebook group all of this is available if you head over to patreon Dot com slash seriously wrong, seriously wrong Patreon and chip in six bucks a month. That's all we ask. Just the sweet little six to hold us over for one month. You get a bunch of great stuff and we get the support that we need to continue producing this show, which takes a lot of work and we put a lot of love into and use our bodies to produce and our bodies need fuel and rest and clothing and shelter as all bodies do. And so the money thing. So thank you so much to everybody who's already donating to the podcast and to everyone who's considering it. We are good with helping people navigate browsers and how to get to Google. So if you need help with that, uh, just let us know. Mm-hmm. And head we over can to help the you seriously find our Patreon. Patreon. yeah.
0: The, the the that's all we have this week, folks. Catch you next time, as always. Please leave uh, positive reviews. Tell your friends about the show, or use the contact form on our website, or contact at seriouslywrong.com to give us feedback. Always love to hear from people. And yeah, let's end war in our lifetime.
1: You're seriously wrong. Your seriously wrong Your seriously wrong Seriously wrong you're wrong Your seriously you're seriously wrong you're wrong You're wrong. Your wrong
2: time on Seriously Wrong. Now as we all know, there are millions, billions, trillion, infinite numbers of potential futures. Some of those futures are utopias, some of them are dystopias, some of them are midtopias, and some of them are Mike Gravel's utopia. We now go to one of the universes which is Mike Gravel's utopia in which two characters are at a coffee shop talking about what is normal to them. Hey, thanks for meeting me here. This is my favorite spot. It's cute, eh? It is cute. I thought you were kidding when you said it was cute. No, no,
0: it's actually got a really sort of cute aesthetic. You know, I was just reading in the newspaper today about the sort of United Nations with teeth, the global government that we live under, Confederation of Nations, at first bound together in a non-aggression treaty around the world, and then later combining militaries and working to achieve meaningful and lasting world peace. And this is all normal to me. I wake up with this newspaper and I go to sleep holding this newspaper. That's just the world I live in.
2: How about you? No, yeah, I totally agree. That all is really, really normal to me as well. There's actually lots of things that are normal to me in my life now. Spill the beans. What's normal to you? Well, for one thing, being super rich. But not just me being rich, literally everybody else being rich too. This capitalism's so inclusive. Everybody owns a bit of the means of production. I mean, I know there's still some people in the what used to be called the third world that are only at upper middle class incomes right now, but that's changing fast and like pretty much everyone is rich.
0: Yeah, and the cool part is that like all these steps take place through a directly democratic assembly which affects all levels of government. It's been enshrined through a constitutional amendment. It's the legislature of the people, it's the real citizens' assembly, you know, it's the dream of direct democracy realized. I think that's what inclusive capitalism's really about. Oh, I totally
2: agree. That's the heart there's a lot of hearts of inclusive capitalism to me. Like making housing a human right, making the banks public making corporations pay for their externalities, ending the war on drugs, abolishing the death penalty, of course, ending all global war. All this stuff is part of inclusive capitalism. And it is normal to me. And I would venture to say, as a personal judgment, a good system that I like living in.
0: All that stuff is just normal to me.
2: Totally normal. That wasn't normal. Yeah, that, whatever world that was on that tape is not normal to me. All those things they were describing.
0: No, abnormal. Totally abnormal.
2: Capitalism, but everyone's rich?
0: What? In the world that we're in, it's more
2: of a normal sort of 2019 Earth universe. It's normal. Yeah, standard
0: issue. Yeah. But hey, isn't it weird how no one at all seems to advocate for legitimately strengthening international institutions and moving to like a harmonic? world order through like confederation in a meaningful sense and maybe the democratization of the united nations people are so soured on these institutions they don't even ever at all describe trying to do anything good with them it's really bizarre in our universe anyways that is so weird hearing a universe where people are like Oh, we don't talk about democratizing the UN enough. I feel like that's the only thing that people in our universe ever talk about. It's like so fucking
2: annoying. Yeah, everyone talks about the benefits of the internet, but everyone joining one single conversation is just always about the UN, the UN. It's like, do you even live in a city anymore, a country anymore? What's going on at home?
0: You don't even know the name of your city councilors, and you're just like, oh, we need a global
2: order, blah, blah, blah. blah. It's just like the spectator sport of global politics.
0: Oh my God, I just, I was listening to a nested tape gimmick and then I popped out a tape. I'm probably in a nested tape gimmick. They're gonna pop my tape out any any second. Please, please, I don't, don't don't pop me out. Just, just let me play through. Let me play all the way through. I, I got a family, man. I, I, I got two kids, two beautiful kids. Don't, don't pop me out, man.
2: And so that man began to spend all of his time completely paranoid about the possibility of the tape that he was on one day being popped out and that meaning his personal oblivion. And that event did happen nine years later. Had he been around after the tape he was on was popped out to reflect on the experience, he would have found it a blessing. But he was no longer in existence at that time.
0: Thanks for telling me where
2: tapes go after they're popped out, Dad. I won't have that nightmare again. Oh, there there, son. There there. You think you can get back to sleep? Yeah, can I drink juice at night? Well, okay, just a little bit. Oh, hell yeah. Don't get too excited. It's time for sleep. I don't need you excited before bed.
0: Usually you don't get to have juice after you brush your teeth, but tonight's a special night. That's fucking dope, Dad. Just to be real, Dad, I'm like really, really excited about this juice at night thing. I did not expect you to say yes. At all. At all dad. I'm one happy son. I am one happy son.
2: It's just in Wrongtown News special report. Local man kept up all night because he mistakenly said yes when his son asked him for juice. The son got too excited, kept them both up all night. And tragically, the next day, due to the sleep deprivation, that father and son duo were in a car crash and they were both killed. We now go to a panel discussing whether parents like this father who give their kids juice at night should lose their kids. Why don't you introduce yourselves and uh, let's chat. Uh, my name is Professor Philip Cromwell. I'm an expert in
0: child psychology and neurodevelopment.
2: My name is Andrew A., I am a local parent and child advocate, as well as a local parent and child. All of the best information that we have is very clear that
0: separation of a parent and a child is an absolutely traumatic experience and should only be used in the absolute rarest of circumstances. This is a vanishingly small bar to take away a child from a family, giving juice at night, I wouldn't advocate for it necessarily, but surely that has to be within the spectrum of legal parenting within a fair
2: society. Okay, I mean, giving juice at night sounds pretty innocent, doesn't it, when you phrase it like that? But what we're talking about here and what this news story that just happened demonstrates is that we're talking about killing children. Are you in favor of killing children? Apparently you are. And as a child... I would have wanted to be taken away from my parents if they were going to kill me, okay? And if I was a parent who was going to kill their child, as a parent, I would hope that society would stop me from doing that. And so that is why, as an advocate, I advocate what I advocate.
0: I think it is just absolutely off-base to politicize the tragedy of this particular juice after toothbrushing. However... I think we have to look at the specifics of this particular case if we're going to be making political arguments. Now my theory is, I'm playing along at home like everyone, watching the news, trying to solve the mystery. I think the problem is that the dad got the son all riled up. That's a different thing entirely. Now no one's advocating we take away kids from parents whose parents get them all riled up at night. But maybe that's a conversation we should be having. Just my two cents as a developmental child neurologist expert. Not a parent, though.
2: And that really says it all, doesn't it? Not a parent. Child status, even. Probably questionable. Just I kidding. Was definitely a child. You're just playing word games here. And perhaps what, I will be a parent someday. What gets kids riled up at night? Drinking juice. It's called sugar. Have you ever heard of it? There's all sorts of ways to rile up a child. The kid had juice in his system. Well, Let's we not know. play games.
0: Yes, absolutely. This particular child on this occasion... Did drink juice after toothbrush, but that's not why this tragedy happened. And I just absolutely cannot stand for this lies and slander on publicly funded television. We should be promoting Wrongtopia's juice industry. We shouldn't be shaming the juice
2: industry. You're a shill for the juice industry. I know. I am so much. I am sense. a
0: patriot and citizen who loves
2: As juice. As a non-parent shill for the juice industry, not even an advocate for anyone. I think that this person should be legally barred from ever speaking on this topic, and that's just my opinion. This
0: man is advocating for children to get all riled up. You have to that keep the not children
2: true. calm. Well, that's all the time we have for the panel. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming on. The age-old question of whether or not children should get juice at night, it's a juicy one, a question that's been around for A long time, it's been the parent of many sub-questions, and even a grandparent of sub-sub-questions. Though of course, like all questions, it too was the child of previous questions. And in how it's framed, it does advocate for something. We didn't get to the bottom of this question tonight. There's still a lot of juice left in that melon, but that is all the time we have this week. Thank you so much for watching, and good night.
0: Next time on Wrongtown News, A massively destabilizing and illegal war waged under false pretenses somehow passes through the democratic assembly of the people, bets the entire future of humanity in exchange for profits for a small handful of companies, and creates a terrifying and unstable global surveillance state where everyone's civil liberties are perpetually eroded. That actually passes democratically on behalf of everyone next time.